So, uh, heading back into Acts today, and today we get the fun topic as we're heading into, we've been in Acts 1-8, and the beginning of the, pa- the passage is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so this is mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 is where we've been seeing this last couple weeks. And it says, Jesus commanded the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised you. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now, I recognize that the topic of baptism is something that can carry a lot of baggage for a lot of people. Um, and there are more opinions about this baptism and the way the Spirit moves probably than there are verses in the Bible. Uh, But it's so central to the book of Acts, and one of the beautiful things of teaching through a book, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, is you don't get to just skip whatever you feel like skipping. It's central to this book, and so we get to talk about it, even if people don't want to talk about it. I was talking with someone this past week uh, who was sharing that, you know, they don't like talking about the Holy Spirit, because they don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. They say, no, the Holy Spirit is just too confusing. It's it's too subjective. It's it's too, like, touchy-feely. They said, I prefer things that are concrete, that I can understand. Those are the things that I, I want to talk about. The Holy Spirit just seems kind of weird to me. And I get that feeling, but we can't just therefore say, hey, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just leave that as a theology. Because to do that would be like saying to my wife, you know, I don't like this intimacy thing. Right? It's too touchy-feely. It's too subjective. I mean, how can you make sense of something? It's just emotions and mushy and, and airy-fairy, and I don't understand it, and so why bother? We can have a fine marriage and just relate to one another without all this weird feeling, emotional energy, and intimacy stuff, right? And the truth is, many married couples here, maybe even today, that would represent your marriage, right? It's a, where you're, you're more roommates than you are soulmates, right? Where it's just, it's a, it's a practical way of being together. Because intimacy isn't this fixed target to shoot for. It can feel confusing. It can take a lot of effort, and there's no guaranteed results. And so some couples just give up after a little while. Yet it's a foundational part of what marriage was created for, right? And sadly, a marriage without intimacy is the normal lived experience for many married couples. If not for their entire marriage, for much of their marriage. And again, there are probably some of you that that is your lived experience right now. Or maybe you had it in the beginning, but it's gone cold after a while. And it just seems like too much work to get it back. In the same way, though, even though, or even though that was never what it's intended for, but in the same way, a Christian life without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is, is the lived normative experience for so many Christians. In fact, for for, for so many Christians, they don't know anything different. Maybe they experienced some power and movement of the Spirit in the early days of their faith, but it's been a long time, and they don't know how to get it back or what to do. But according to Jesus, it is central to our calling to be his followers. And so for us to live in love like Jesus, we have to grow in engaging with the Holy Spirit in the way that Jesus intended it. And so I recognize that while there's so many different opinions on this topic, I just today want to focus and look at what does Jesus have to say about this? What does it say from Scripture? And so we're going to look at that. So let's look again at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in Acts, what we've seen so far in the last couple weeks, and we'll look at that in some other places as well. So quick reminder, last week in the opening, we opened up in chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, where Jesus says this, says, giving his chose, or says Jesus was giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So as we've seen before multiple times now, Jesus emphasized that everything that he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. All the work that he did, all the good, all the healing, all that kind of stuff, he was completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do those things, for all the works and the teachings. We did a whole sermon on this just the week before Christmas. And then Acts chapter 10 makes this abundantly clear. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says this, 
It says, it's a summary, and it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. How? For God was with him through the Holy Spirit. So we see that for Jesus, he, while he was here on earth, all the power he had, all the good that he did was the Holy Spirit empowering him to do those things. All the healing, the teaching, the deliverances, the miracles, even the knowing things he wouldn't have known, all the ability he was given was because God was with him through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And then as we saw just a few minutes ago, Jesus then tells them that after he leaves, we'll read, read that verse in verse 4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, he tells the disciples, until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So the disciples aren't to do anything until they receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says is the gift that God has promised for them. And there's no shock, this is identical to how Luke describes it at the end of his gospel. In Luke chapter 20, verse 24, verse 48, Luke says this, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So that's just the other account of the exact same event. Now remember, what was Jesus doing with the disciples for the last 40 days, as we've seen? He's been pouring into them day after day, teaching them message after message on the kingdom of God. So remember, the disciples have had three years with Jesus at this point, right? They then watched him die, they watched him resurrect, and now they've had 40 days with him of this crash course of teaching on the kingdom of God and how they are to be witnesses, right? I mean, think about, wouldn't that be the most amazing course ever? Think those final 40 days, the risen, crucified Lord in his glorified body, and Jesus, for 40 days in a crash course, is teaching them about the kingdom, who he is, and what they are to do. I mean, imagine if today Jesus were to return in a glorified body and say, I got a 40-day crash course going on, right? I'm going to teach you all of who I am. Sit with me, and I will prepare you to be my witnesses. Wouldn't that be amazing? And 40 days with Jesus... You'd think by the end of that time, they would be quite prepared to go out and do the things he told them to do, because the empowered Jesus is teaching them this. I mean, you think by this point, they would be fully equipped to be able to go out and do the things that Jesus told them to do. But Jesus says, no, they are not equipped. They aren't ready. Why? They can't do it on knowledge alone. The equipping isn't enough. The teaching isn't enough. The training isn't enough. Doctrine and teaching is not sufficient in its own. Even if they had perfect understanding, which is evident, we saw last week, they don't. But they need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. They must be baptized in the Spirit before they go out. So after telling them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and after their lack of understanding of why Jesus comes, we talked about last week, Jesus tells them this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I lay all that to start with to show that Acts is, is not talking about some strange idea of this baptism or receiving the Spirit thing. The baptism of the Spirit is not some fringe, spooky idea for the craziest of charismatic Christians. It is, a, it is not a new concept we can choose to ignore. It's not like a little side teaching of Jesus. It is central to what Jesus is teaching the disciples. 
I mean, you could easily make the case that this is the most important thing that Jesus is communicating to the disciples before he leaves. Because this is what he is hammering home right at the end again and again and again with his last moments with them and with the last teaching he gives them before he dies. Because it's not just here in Acts. If we go to the final teachings of Jesus in John chapter 14 through chapter 17, Jesus downloads for them what he says, what he feels is the most essential things for them to hold on to, knowing that he's about to leave. And in 14 through 17, the two dominant themes in John chapter 14 through 17 is love one another, walk in unity, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. These are the two most dominant themes by far of that last message that Jesus gives them. This is what Jesus so badly wants for them to understand. Seemingly more than any other message he gives. And in fact, Jesus says it is better for them that he leaves them because then they will have the Holy Spirit with them. He says it's better for you that I go away because the Holy Spirit with you is better than me physically standing right next to you. The Holy Spirit teaching you is better than me teaching you. Which is evidence we're going to see in the next few weeks of what happens three and a half years with three years with Jesus. You see what they understood, and then as you look at a couple of weeks, look at just a couple of minutes with the Holy Spirit. What happens to them? So then, if Jesus was that convinced of its value of the baptism of the Spirit, the most important question I guess is what exactly is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it just re refer receiving the Holy Spirit when we're saved, or is it something more than that? Is it just speaking in tongues, maybe? Or is it swinging from chandeliers and rolling on the floor and doing crazy stuff? Is it, is it just a one-time filling, a one and done? Or is it something that we continually to seek after to be filled again and again? And most importantly, does it really matter at all? I mean, can I just ignore this stuff and go on with my life the way I always have, rather than this airy-fairy Holy Spirit stuff that never makes me feel good? So that's what we're going to look at today, or begin to look at. And one of the reasons there's often so much confusion about the role of the, whole, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Spirit, is because even in the Bible, the language morphs regularly in how it speaks about the Spirit, and how the Spirit engages people. But as we spoke about last week, I think it's best to let Jesus be the one who defines these things for us, and then actually trust Him when He tells us stuff, right? Believe Him. So, what is the baptism of the Spirit? Well, the definition of baptism in Scripture, the Greek word for that is baptizo. I love that. It's Greek, but it almost sounds Italian, doesn't it? It seems like baptizo. It seems like the way that it should be pronounced, right? Baptizo means, uh, it means to immerse or submerge or to saturate. And that's why when we baptize people in water, we immerse them. Why? Because that's literally what the word means, to immerse or saturate or submerge somebody in the water so that they are fully soaked. This is the imagery that Jesus used, that they are to be immersed, baptized, soaked in the Holy Spirit, completely soaked in it, submerged in it. There's a great story told by the, the famous evangelist Dwight Moody back in the 1800s. He was one of, really probably one of the greatest evangelists of all time outside of Paul or Billy Graham, maybe, um, but an amazing man. Anyways, he used to regularly preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes some, there was a time where someone asked him... Uh, Dwight, why do you speak, spend so much time preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and talking about it? And he says, it's because I leak. Right? I love that. It's because I leak. To remain saturated, I must continue to be filled. I have to go again and again and again because I leak. Okay, so what does the Bible say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, here in Acts, we've already seen a couple things. 
First, we saw that it is a gift that's promised from the Father. That's what we read in chapter 1, verse 4. And we saw in verse 1, 9, that it will empower them to be witnesses, telling others about Jesus, giving them the ability to do those things. And that's what we see right there. So then the next question is, when do they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it when they believe in Jesus? Is it that indwelling? Or is it at some point after they believe in Jesus? And we have to think of the disciples' case, it seems pretty clear here that they already believe in Jesus by this point, right? They believed in him for a while, in fact. So in this case, it seems that it would be after they've already believed in Jesus that they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But let's see how Jesus describes it. So we'll go back to John chapter 14, when Jesus is telling the disciples about the Holy Spirit coming. And here's what Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 15. He's teaching the disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth. Here, he says, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But here, check this part out. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is Jesus saying this right before the crucifixion, telling the disciples just the day before he gives his life, and he says, he's telling the disciples that the Holy Spirit, he says, is already with you. Notice that? The Holy Spirit is with you. However, he says, the Holy Spirit is not yet in you. But at some future point, the Spirit will not just be with you, but in you as well. Right? This is Jesus' language. Not James's. This is Jesus's. So Jesus is saying that the disciples have the Spirit with them, around them, but not in them, and that at some point, they will have the Spirit in them, all right? So, Jesus uses that language, in fact, a lot, that the Spirit will dwell with them, and Paul uses it as well. So the question is then, when does the Holy Spirit come and dwell in the disciples? Bible nerds, do you have any idea of when that is in Scripture? When does the Spirit come and dwell in them? If you're familiar with Scripture, it happens a couple chapters later, right at the resurrection, John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, verse 20, it says this. This is right at the resurrection. Jesus is showing off the, the holes in his hands, right? And he spoke. He showed them the wounds in his hand and at, at his side. And he says to the disciples, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. So this is right at the resurrection. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, he says. Then he breathed on them. And here it is. And he said to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. So here, right at the resurrection, the disciples now receive the Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit is not just with them, but in them, as Jesus had just said. The Spirit dwells in them at this point. And Scripture is adamant that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment we believe, the moment that we are saved. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 puts it this way. It says, when you believed in Christ, Jesus identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Notice all the same language here. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. So anyone, do I have the Holy Spirit? Well, do you believe? Then yes, you have the Holy Spirit. There are so many verses having to address that, from saying that we are temples of the Holy Spirit to so many others, Romans 8 9, so many others that talk about the fact that when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was with the disciples even before they received the Spirit, is what Jesus says, because the Spirit is everywhere. Then they receive the Holy Spirit here in John 20 when Jesus breathes the Spirit into them. 
And now, as we see here in Acts, Jesus tells them that there is still more to come. There's an empowering presence of the Spirit that's going to come upon them, and Jesus calls this the baptism of the Spirit. Now again, this is after they've believed. It's after they've had the Spirit breathed literally into them by Jesus. And Jesus says that this baptism that they will about to receive will give them power to be his witnesses to the world. Now, you'd think that receiving the Spirit of Jesus, literally breathing the Spirit on them, that that would be enough, wouldn't it? I mean, that's what I would think. Jesus breathing the Spirit into them, they're good, they're set. But Jesus says, no, it's not enough. But the reality is most, not most, many Christians choose to stop right there. Right? Many Christians, they just stop right there and they say, that's good enough for me. I've received the Spirit because I'm a believer. He's breathed it into me. I'm good. I'm done. But what does Jesus say? He says, no. There's so much more. In fact, they aren't allowed to do anything until they receive the baptism of the Spirit, Jesus says. Now, being baptized in the Spirit to Jesus is more important than them running out and just filling his mission in their own ways. Jesus says they can't do the next steps without it. Now remember, by this point, the disciples already are believers. The Holy Spirit already dwells within them. They're already temples of the Holy Spirit, as Paul would say. So then what the heck is this baptism of the Holy Spirit then? We see the first example of it in Acts chapter 2. Now we're to get here in a couple weeks, but this is the story of Pentecost, and it's crazy if you've not read it before. The disciples are in a room praying. They're waiting for this baptism, being obedient to Jesus. They have no clue what it is, having no idea what to expect, but just Jesus told them to wait, so they're all in a room praying and waiting. Now, remember, the last time we saw the disciples, they were timid, scared, and confused, Peter especially. The last time we heard from Peter, he was you know, groveling with Jesus and being told, like, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord, and feed my sheep, but, but yes, I love you, Lord. And he was trying to, all the shame and guilt and condemnation from denying Jesus three times just a few months prior to this. Then at the end of chapter one, the disciples are praying together and waiting, and chapter two opens up and says a rushing wind fills the house as they're waiting for whatever this is. Then fire appears on each of the heads of the disciples, and they begin, each of them begin to speak in other languages, other tongues, as they head out into the crowds with this crazy, incredible, crazy power that goes upon them. Luke writes it this way in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. He says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. This is the first example given of the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in this instance, Luke uses the language. Notice there, he says, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here he's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, clearly. And he says that they have the ability to speak with different tongues. How do they do that? He states it very clearly. The Spirit gives them the ability to do it. The Spirit empowers them. The Spirit fills them. The Spirit baptizes them. The Spirit gives them the ability, the same words kind of interchange there, gives them the ability, the ability to speak in other tongues. Now what's interesting is we go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 9, where we were talking about before, where it says the Spirit works in power, right? The Spirit will give you power to be my witnesses. We've read that so many times. 
That word for power there, the Greek word for that is dunamis. And dunamis is, literally means, just the literal definition of that word means to be given the, pow- the, given the ability to do something. To be able to function in a way you can't function on your own. To be, given, to be able to function in, in a, the ability to do different things. And sometimes that would be might and strength and power as we think. But I grew up with this teaching, which actually I found out later, what's understanding it better, it was kind of incorrect because we get the word dynamite from that word dunamis. But the word dynamite came 1,800 years after dunamis did. And so what we end up doing is some people then define dunamis by dynamite, which is actually wrong. It came 1,800 years later, right, by Nobel when he, was, when he created it. But the idea being that, yes, sometimes this power is like dynamite and power and might, but oftentimes, we see in Scripture, it's receiving the ability to do something that might not be this massive, powerful thing, but it's receiving the ability by the Spirit to do what we cannot do on our own. That's what it's saying, that by receiving power. So oftentimes, we'll see it's not might and power of the dead being raised or the sick being healed, but it could be that powerings we'll see to love supernaturally or to speak a word to someone, to prophesy something we don't know, or maybe boldness to speak about Jesus in different ways. In Acts chapter 2, we'll see this is fulfilled amazingly as this dunamis comes upon them to be filled with the Spirit, and they are empowered with the ability to speak in other languages. And that's just amazing. Again, we're going to talk about that more in a couple weeks, and um, I'll share a story where we got to see that in Cambodia of God magically, or not magically, wow, did I say magically? Wow, I've been watching too much of my kids' shows. Um, uh, all right, too much Pokemon right there. Um, where the Lord empowers people to be able to speak in other languages. But this is what the baptism of the Spirit looks like in this verse. And again, many Christians stop right here. And this becomes their definition of the baptism of the Spirit. And they say that, therefore, the baptism of the Spirit is, of the Spirit is being defined as filled with the Spirit to speak in tongues. Right? And for many Christians, that's their definition of the baptism of the Spirit. And, and they stop right there, that you aren't a real Christian unless you've been baptized in the Spirit and speak in tongues. For many people, I, I know many churches that are that way, and, and you can see where they get that from, right here from chapter 2. And, but the problem is they stop there, as though the whole story ends right there. See, the Spirit's not done yet. To stop there is, I think, a really big mistake, because Acts chapter 2 isn't the end of the story. And the Holy Spirit is not done, as we'll see in Acts chapter 2. Because immediately after this, immediately, these timid followers of Jesus, they go out into the crowds and begin to witness to the crowds about Jesus. In fact, Peter, filled with a boldness of the Spirit, begins to preach a sermon immediately after this. And this is a sermon that he did not know existed just seconds before. Right? The Holy Spirit gives Peter this ability in that moment to connect the dots supernaturally of the prophecy of Joel to the present and all this other stuff and all these things that literally minutes before he had no idea about all of a sudden come pouring out of his mouth with boldness in front of these crowds by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives him that ability in the moment and God moves in power as the disciples are witnesses and 3,000 people come to Christ that day. It's amazing. One of the greatest days in history as the church is formed. All through the power of the Holy Spirit. As people are baptized and filled with the Spirit in good works. Or sorry, as God works through them in power. But you see, it's not over here. 
Time and time again after this, in the book of Acts, we're going to see Luke using the language that people are filled again with the Holy Spirit. In fact, even the same people that are going to be empowered and given the ability to do many different things. The exact language is used to describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit multiple times in this letter. Other times, he'll change the language a little bit. He'll say they received the Spirit, or the Spirit has come upon them, or someone is filled with the Spirit, or full of the Spirit, and goes and does these things. We're going to see it happening to all sorts of people, and the same people again and again and again, being filled, or the Spirit coming upon again and again and again. For example... We're going to get there in a few weeks, but in Acts chapter 4, there's this incredible story where Peter and John see someone healed, and they preach the gospel, and the religious leaders arrest them, throw them in prison, and are then grilling them at a hearing because they've been witnessing about Jesus. And when the religious leaders demand that they stop talking about Jesus, listen to Peter's response. He says this in Acts 4, 19. He says, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now, remember who's speaking here. This is Peter. This isn't long after Jesus ascended. This is just literally months after we found Jesus being scared of a little girl at night around a fire, right? Remember, just a few months ago, this Peter was scared of a little girl that he denied Jesus three times after promising he wouldn't do it. That is how timid and scared Peter was just a few months ago to be able to be associated with Jesus and how afraid he was of the religious leaders imprisoning him and hurting him. And yet here he is, standing in front of the exact same group of religious leaders who crucified Jesus. And with boldness he was saying, I can't obey you, I must obey him. Same man. What changed? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what changed. He's filled with the Spirit. Rivers of life are pouring out of him, as we'll talk about soon. So they're released from prison. Peter and John run back to the team that's been praying for them this whole time, and then we get this amazing passage in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. It says, and now, Peter prays, and now, O Lord, hear their threats. That's the government officials that are trying to kill him. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. He says, God, I want more. God, I want more boldness. Fill me with your spirit. Two verses later, it says, the place shakes. Peter wants the spirit to be empowered, be bold in witnessing for Jesus. And it says, two verses later, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Again, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet again. And it gives him boldness, even more boldness than the boldness to just preach to the government officials who had the ability to kill him. The spirit empowers him in the body keep being witnesses for Christ. Giving them that empowering presence, that ability to do what they can't do on their own, have boldness in the face of persecution. They're baptized again, you could say. So the Spirit again fills people with boldness to not just give in to fear when telling others about Jesus again and again and again we're going to see this. But this time when they are filled or baptized in the Spirit, notice they don't speak in tongues in this instance. No one's healed right here in this passage. They're just empowered with the ability to be bold in speaking about Jesus. So this baptism or filling is not a one-time event. And it's not limited to tongues or some specific expression. 
we'll actually see as we continue through the Acts that it's often very different each time how the Spirit moves when the Spirit works in power. And it's not just the indwelling of the Spirit, it's salvation. It's not always in the same way. So in the Spirit, he's just going to keep doing this stuff all throughout the letter. Sometimes they're empowered by the Spirit to see people healed. Sometimes when they're baptized, they're empowered to teach or preach. And sometimes when they're baptized, they're empowered to break out of prison. Sometimes they're filled with the Spirit to speak in tongues. Other times when they're filled, literally nothing happens that we know of. There's no radical thing. It just says, and they were filled with the Spirit. We assume that they could keep going forward. So people are baptized or filled with the Spirit again and again and again. Why? Well, to quote Dwight Moody, we leak. So we get a filling again and again and again. All throughout the New Testament, we are called to walk in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. One of the clearest ones in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul makes an imperative in the Greek, a command, a very clear command. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek there, the language, the verb is very evident that it's actually, the better translation would be say, continue to be filled with the Spirit, is what the, the actual literal translation says. And the context there is in building up the body. So what we see then in asking the question, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, we saw it's a gift from God that's a promise by the Father. It will empower them to be witnesses telling others about Jesus. And the next two points I would add to that is it's different from the indwelling of the Spirit at salvation, though they can happen at the same time. We see multiple examples. The moment they believe, they receive the Spirit in them, and at the same time, there's a baptism of empowering present put upon them that they go out and do things they cannot do, but that's not always the case. And second, it's not a one-time event, but it happens continually afterwards. Where believers are empowered with the ability to do what they cannot do on their own, with the primary purpose being to witness to others about Jesus. Amen? So we see the disciples being filled again and again. We see them praying for it again and again. We see them asking for others to be praying for them again and again and praying for themselves. This is just a regular habit where Paul is constantly asking, pray for me for boldness, pray for me for these feelings, pray for me for these things. And they're praying for one another and for themselves that the Spirit would fill them with the Spirit and that God would work through them into the lives of those around them for the sake of witnessing to Jesus' glory and his beauty. You know, I often get asked, as I share stories about crazy things that have happened in 25 years of being a, a missionary overseas, I often get asked that why don't we see the same amount of miracles here in the same way that uh, they tell the stories of all the crazy stuff that happens when I'm in the darkest corners of the world? People want to know, like, why are, are most of the stories of radical healing, the blind receiving sight, and the deaf hearing, and, and lame walking, why are most of those in places where people don't know about Jesus? You see, the answer is in the question. Because the primary purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses to Jesus. To testify about Jesus. And my experience has proven this time and time again. The darker the places that I go to, the more demonic influences, the fewer believers, the more radical the power is that God moves in those places. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this empowering presence, it says is for the witnessing to tell others about Jesus. In fact, there's many places on the earth today where you can see this happening on a daily basis. 
I've had people say, I've never seen a miracle. And I say, well, come with me and we'll go on a trip and I will show you that God is moving right now daily in many places. We could give up a call right now to Emmanuel and Grace Muhammad, one of the missionaries we support here at Northview. Dear friends of mine, working in the most dangerous place on the planet for Christians to work. Amongst unreached people that are the most, there is no place on the planet where more Christians are being killed every single year than in this location. And I give him a call right now, and I've not spoken to him a month, and I can just say, hey, Emmanuel, when's the last time you saw the power of the Spirit showing in radical ways? And he's not going to say a decade ago. He's not going to say a month ago. He's probably not going to go a week ago. So like, well, yesterday we saw this. The day before we saw this. The day before we saw this. And just, it's endless stories. Every time I visit, every time I go there, we see this all the time. So does that mean we have to move to Nepal or Kazakhstan or Saudi Arabia to be able to see the power of the Spirit? No. But it means we must be his witnesses. It's no surprise that wherever Christianity has become cultural Christianity. And Christians have bought into this understanding that it's just part of the culture. And we serve a God who desires our comfort and our convenience above all else. Where people are often too afraid to even witness about Jesus. That in those places, people tend to lose sight of the reality of the Holy Spirit. Outside of just making them feel better about themselves. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And the Holy Spirit oftentimes can get relegated to a theology or a doctrine or just about revealing truth, where Christianity can become more about moralistic, therapeutic deism. Or at other times where the entire emphasis of the Spirit is just about filling me and me getting more and me getting more and me getting more. Very me-centered. In fact, Esther and I, we were talking about this week about how hard it is to find worship songs that actually talk about being filled with the Spirit for the sake of being witnesses in the way that Scripture talks about there's so few of them in there. Uh, songs we can sing about the Spirit empowering us to go forth to see others experience that reality. Most of them are about us and, and sticking with us. And there's nothing wrong with singing about us wanting an encounter with Jesus. We need that. We should sing that. We should pray for that. God wants to meet us in power and meet us in beautiful ways. But that should not be the entirety of our diet of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, there is not a single instance in the entire book of people being filled with the Spirit for only their own benefit. Not a single one. It is always to empower them to reach beyond themselves for the water of life to flow out from them into those around them. Every single time. We'll be talking a lot more about this in the coming weeks, but do we grasp this for us today? That the power of the baptism of the Spirit isn't just a theological idea, it isn't just another way to talk about salvation. It isn't just for special elite soldiers of the faith. It's for all believers to continually be filled and empowered to do what we cannot do on our own as we are witnesses for Christ. So that Christ may be exalted in our world, in and through our lives. And that may involve boldness in witnessing form as we've seen here today. It may involve healings and miracles. It may involve casting out demons. It, it may involve speaking truth and love. It may involve supernaturally loving someone beyond our ability. It may involve speaking in a different tongue or prophecy or, or teaching or building others up or, or, or turning from sin or counseling someone or, or preaching. Every week I am begging for the Lord to empower me to speak forth his words as I come forth and deliver a message. And the Holy Spirit often speaks more clearly to me than any other time in my life, than literally when I'm up teaching His Word. We don't control the Holy Spirit. We can't force Him into some mold. We don't get to determine how He works. 
or how he's going to manifest. But we can grow in pursuing him and seeking this power of his spirit. We can grow in his gifts. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, while Paul says not everyone will speak in tongues, he says God gives the gifts as he sees fit, Paul literally right after that says everyone should desire to prophesy. We'll talk more about that in a while, but he says everyone should pursue it. Some of you might be a little uncomfortable right now. I'm not going to ask you to start doing it right now. But, but why does he say it? He says because that is the gift, he says, that reaches the lost the most. That's what he says. So he said, everyone should pursue it. Understand that we can pursue his gifts. We can pursue his spirit. Amen? Now, do you see the pattern here? Everything that we're talking about is about the overflow into others of the movement of the spirit. And I know I've covered a lot of ground today, and it's way too large of a subject to hit in one sermon, but my goal today is just kind of open us up with a broader look at how the spirit empowers us to be witnesses. We'll be looking a lot more at the Holy Spirit as we continue through this book because literally every page is just dripping with the empowering presence of the Spirit. But for today, it's my great hope that we recognize that we are called to be empowered to be witnesses for Jesus. This is what the baptism is for. It's not a call for special people, but that as we go, the Spirit will empower us to do it. We don't wait for some special anointing to, to move that's beyond our comfort zones, but as the Spirit empowers us, we go. As we're in conversations with a neighbor, we expect that he's going to move as we prayerfully seek out his moving, and maybe he gives us the right words to speak at just the right moment. Or maybe we're building a relationship with a co-worker, and we have the opportunity to pray for them as we're seeking out the Lord, expecting for his spirit to move in and through our lives. Or maybe we feel a, a prodding in our spirit to pray for, 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 a, for a coworker or a friend to pray for healing when they share what's going on and we obey that prodding as the spirit moves within us. Or maybe we're speaking to a friend and, and, and we have this urge to tell them something. We don't even know where it comes from as the Lord speaks a word of truth or prophecy through us to somebody else as the spirit is powering us and moving in us. Maybe it's as we're wrestling with temptation and we're praying, Spirit, we feel this empowering presence of the Spirit to say no and to walk away. But it's something we must pursue. In most of the cases we'll see in Acts, it's something they're pursuing. Not always, but it's something they're pursuing and seeking after. It should be part of our regular times of prayer. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. It should be a regular prayer. God, empower me to live and love more like you. I want to be Jesus with skin on. Anoint me as I engage my family, my friends, my co-workers, my neighbors. God, empower me with your spirit to do what I cannot do on my own. That your love would overflow out of me into the world around me. Your spirit would overflow into the people around. And maybe even have the boldness to pray one of the most dangerous prayers. If it's your will, Lord, send me not just across the street to my neighbor's, Lord, send me to the outermost parts of the earth to reach those who are unreached. As he talks about in Acts 1.8. To pray, Jesus, use me. May I be your hands and your feet. Amen? So as I wrap up, I, I want to read one of my favorite descriptions Jesus gives of the Spirit. And I want to do as an illustration to, to, to show that. It's John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, on the last and most important day of the festival, this is Jesus, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within them. He said this about the Spirit. Notice, he says, those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, because this is early on, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I love this picture. Jesus says, the Spirit will be streams of living water flowing from deep within, flowing out of us. And he says this on the last day of the festival of booths, which is, Jesus is so amazing when you often see the the history of where he's at in places, which the festival of booths is where they remembered when Jesus, or when God provided for them when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. They were dying of thirst at one point, and the last day of the festival of booths, in fact, you can go today to Brooklyn and other places and see people during the festival of booths still celebrating this day. They go in tents, and they, they live in tents for the week, and they have this bull festival. But on the very last day of the festival of booths, the Israelites, what they would do is they have a ceremony of water where they would commemorate that amazing moment where they're in the desert, they're dying of thirst, and Moses hits the rock and a river pours out of a rock, giving everyone, the millions of people there, water in the midst of the desert, of a mighty river pouring out of a rock. That's the final day of the ceremony of the festival of booths. They remember that. And so Jesus says, on the final day of the festival, Jesus comes in and this is what he says. What do you think he's saying that? He's referring back to a river pouring out of a rock in the desert. And he says, my spirit will be like a river pouring in and out of you into the people around you. If you're thirsty, my spirit will be like a river of life within you that flows out of you. You know that old song from the 80s, the kids song. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prisons, doors, keeps the captives free, or sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well. Splash, splash, right? I mean, there's incredible theology in that song. Better than theology than like 95% of all the songs we sing today for the most part, it seems. Not ones where Esther spends a lot of time picking really good ones, but of the songs you put on those, honestly, we've just had this, she's like, it's so hard to find worship songs because artists aren't always the best theologians. Um... But this river of the Spirit from within that pours to pour out of us, we have to seek Him. We have to remain in prayer and seek Him. So I want to illustrate this this morning. If you guys could bring this over. Um, I'm stealing this from someone else. It's, and just like, there's no perfect illustration. Nothing works perfectly. But I, I, I think this can display a little bit. Oops. You want to spin it around? Thanks, guys. Don't fall off the edge. Thank you, gentlemen. You're all right. Thank you. Okay. So, um, and this illustration, this glass represents us as we come to Christ. And in fact, there's someone that once said, how do you get all the air out of a glass? And people say, you know, you use a vacuum, you could suck it out, but that would probably break the glass. I said, but if you want to get the air out of a glass, the best way, of course, is to pour something in, right? And so as we come to Christ, the Spirit fills us, comes within us and dwells within us, and we are this pure creation, right? And it's beautiful. And he's with us. And, 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 and we're thinking, okay, we're okay. But the reality is we leak. If someone bumps us, some water comes out. But it's not just being bumped that we leak. Oftentimes, things of life that, that lead us back to our old ways. So lime juice maybe represents you know, being green with envy or something like that. And, and maybe jealousy that rises within our hearts that impacts the way in which we're living. Or maybe we have lemon juice that could be like bitterness that rises within our hearts and and makes it kind of nasty to be able to drink. But still, we're doing okay. Things are all right so far. But then, maybe one of our old friends comes along. I brought my favorite barbecue sauce. 
Famous Dave's Devil Spit Sinfully Spicy, right? Perfectly mapped. I love this stuff, but representing anger, right? This, this thing that we just pour in some anger from our lives that kind of goes back into the purity of what it is. We're still saved, right? The Spirit is still in us. We're just adding in as we go back again and again to our anger and, and malice and hatred for others and unforgiveness that rises within our hearts. And that's not it. I got a can of Red Bull here. The Red Bull maybe represents the things that we run to instead of Jesus. Coping mechanisms, right? Just like with Red Bull, instead of getting good sleep, we, 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 we use this as a shortcut. It's the shortcuts of, of pornography and other stuff, or, or the shortcuts of just coping mechanisms, just busyness and everything else that just goes in there, and it keeps filling the way in which we do life. And we're not done there, and then we have this nice clear liquid right here that looks so good on the outside, but it's vinegar. Um, and, and, and vinegar is not a nice thing. While it looks nice, this represents hypocrisy. Right? That we were self righteousness. <coughs> oh gosh, that was too close. Uh, don't do that. Um, I wasn't supposed to go that close. Uh, so we put vinegar, which represents hypocrisy and represents all the things which we try to appear self righteous to others. And, and then maybe we get to the, the, the really good stuff. And if you know me, you know that's not true because I can't stand coffee. But the real dark stuff. And you throw some nice coffee inside representing the dark sins lust and pornography and maybe the affair and all this stuff and you got all this stuff just flowing in and but the reality is at this point you're saved you love jesus the spirit's in you right you're you're going to heaven you're heaven bound i mean all this is going okay but you're a mess right this isn't the way it was supposed to be I mean, no one wants to take a drink of this. And often maybe we feel okay, but the world doesn't want what we have. What kind of a witness are we? No one wants this. I mean, it really... Oh. Yeah, bad idea. It, I didn't think the bigger would still be that strong. Um, it, it reeks, right? And maybe we think we're okay, but there's no witness left, right? There's nothing left. And so what does Scripture say? Jesus says, come, be filled with the Spirit, right? It says, come to the Word. Pray. Seek his face, meditate, spend time in the word, and his spirit will fill us. It says it'll be like a river of life that overflows as the spirit comes and he pours into us. Ephesians chapter 5 says that the water, that we'll be washed with the water of his word that cleanses us, right? And it doesn't just stay within us, it pours out over us as we fill again and again, as we spend time with him, as we meditate upon him, as we abide in Jesus, and we seek out his face again and again and again and again and again. The water continues to pour in us, flows in us, and overflows out of us, right? This is what Jesus says, we'd be filled with his spirit again and again and again, and I'm going to try it. All right, we're good. The illustration worked. But I was scared of that last one. I tested it, but I didn't use the vinegar. Um, and so Jesus tells us to be filled again and again. And here's the thing, though, church. Yesterday's filling isn't enough for today. Why? Because we leak. We bump. It spills out. And then maybe we go back and there's more jealousy or bitterness and some more anger and other things go back and so what does jesus say continually be filled with the spirit isn't it just beautiful that god has called us to be filled with his spirit to overflow that river of life into those around us
Amen? And so that is what Christ is calling us to do. The baptism of the Spirit isn't just something that's for us. It's not this internal thing that's just all about us. It's to fill us that it would overflow into those around us. Amen? So Jesus tells the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to baptize you. He didn't want them just giving out their cups of stagnant water. He wanted them filled with the Spirit overflowing to everyone around them. He wanted them through the overflowing power of His presence to influence those around. And so let's seek the Lord again today. Worship team, you guys can come up. That He would fill us that he would baptize us and send us out as his witnesses. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us here alone. Jesus, you say that the Spirit is with us, it is in us, and you want the Spirit to come upon us again and again and again. And I recognize for so many of us, this is just kind of a, a strange idea that for years has just been something we don't know what to do with. But Holy Spirit, today may you break through our minds. The disciples sat with you for 40 days of teaching and it wasn't enough, Lord. May you, Lord, move within our spirits for those of us who've grown complacent or maybe have grown complacent only recently or it's been our whole lives, Lord. And may we seek you, Jesus, for your river of life to flow through us, God. To, to not have apathy towards you, but to say, God, I want you to do what I cannot do on my own. I want a vision for my life that if you don't show up, I fall flat on my face, God, because it demands you doing stuff that is beyond anything I could do on my own into the lives of those around me. Jesus, move in and through our lives. Holy Spirit, fill us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father.